When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But I had never done it because I was too afraid to fail. The shame of not being able to do this and failing, like, I I didn't even want to go near it. And I, the juxtaposition of me being scared of that versus simply just not making enough money just blew my mind. In that space, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm running away from something that I would love to do out of fear and not even addressing the reality of what's holding me back. And those are small things and I've got to get over this. And so I decided right then and there to start my own company. And I did, as soon as I got on my feet, I quit my job and started my own company. And it failed miserably after three years, (laughs) but I did it. And the worst case scenario came to pass with that company, but it opened all kinds of doors for me and put me where I am today. Because I was able to see that. And I began to, at that moment, realize fear can be a compass for what I need to run towards, not what I need to run away from. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Welcome back. I got my man, James Burnham in with me today, by way of Utah, straight out of Canada. <laughs> That's right, man. Home, homegrown Canadian boy. Yeah. This is wild. So this here is introducing folks to fear in a way that they haven't been exposed to it before. At least I hadn't thought about it in the kind of construct that you and I have been discussing over the past few months since we met back at Secret Knock in September. And so you've had an amazing journey with fear and how to harness that in order to take things to the next level, right? You have not just used the techniques on yourself, but you've worked with high-performing folks in order to get them to harness fear and use it for their good. And so the listeners are like, man, who's this guy? I never heard of him. I search him. He's got a podcast. I might see him with a guitar, but like, who is James? And how did he come to this place where he realized that fear was a tool instead of a shackle? Yeah, it's like everything. There are stages to it, how that developed. And it really started for me as a little boy. And this, this is hard for some people to hear, but it, it is so important to speak about 
because I think we have these huge challenges in our lives that really define the greatness in us. It, it can be a self-inflicted challenge. It can come from outside. It could come through all different ways into us. But everyone that I know that is super successful, if I ask them, what's the big challenge that you were able to walk through that made you who you are today? Everyone has that story, right? If they've done the reflecting on it. And my story is one of abuse. I was severely abused from the age of four to eight from a teenage boy that my parents had been kind enough to bring into the home because he was in trouble. He was a troubled kid and not and far more troubled, I think, than they realized. They had no idea. And this kid, he was a violent, really violent. And so he molested and abused me and my sisters, my older sisters. And that changed the whole way that I interacted with the world. And I was in a constant state of fight or flight for many years. And I used adrenaline as a source of focus because I was so heightened and, and reactive at all times my way of being able to find focus and do something i learned to harness adrenaline activities and that's what allowed me to do it right and so it was very not nuanced my usage of it it was it was good for sports so i was doing very well in school and athletics it was good for things that engaged my interest if a teacher was really good I could kind of dive in and focus on that because I could create something. I was very shameful of how stupid I was. So I used that to drive my ability to learn. So it was blunt. But as I evolved, I began to realize I'm just reacting out of fear. There's got to be more. And I did a lot of work because of the stuff I had. And I began to realize that your body tells you things. And I read a book called The Body Keeps Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. And he is one of the foremost researchers on trauma recovery in the world. And I, I began to walk through his methodologies. And as I began to learn to listen to my body and realize that fear would show up at feeling in my body, I'd carry my chest or my throat or my stomach, depending on what it was. And my natural reaction was to avoid or fight with anger. And I thought, there's got to be a better way than this. These are blunt instruments. And as I began to work with it, I began to realize there were a lot of fears. Well, the next, the real big break for me was in 10 years ago, or more than that now, 11 years ago. In 2010, I was in a 50-mile adventure race up in the Canadian Rockies. And I was riding down an extremely steep mountain called uh, Kicking Horse Mountain from the top. And just near Banff, this mountain, and I was coming around a berm, full speed, Ooh, had never been on this place, on this trail before. And as I come around the berm, the trail ends and it's a boulder field, massive boulders. And I am going as fast as my bike could go. And I hit those boulders and flew through the air. And I thought, this could be it. <laughs> Fortunately, I had a big pack on because I had to carry a pack for this race that saved my spine. I didn't break it. I got a badly bruised spine, but they think the pack saved my life, mashed all my ribs, broke my clavicle, major concussion, and ended up with blood clots from here to here in my arm, which we didn't catch at the front end, but those clots moved into my lungs, which then called me, caused me to have pulmonary embolisms, ended up in the hospital. And my wife says to the doctor, how's he doing? Is he going to be okay? And the doctor says, 
If he gets through tonight, he's got a good chance. Now, in my mind, as I sat and listened to this, everyone freaking out, I was fine. I had no fear of death. But I realized, I began to look at things that I was scared of to do. And the one thing that came to my head was, I want to start my own business. But I had never done it because I was too afraid to fail. The shame of not being able to do this and failing, like, I didn't even want to go near it. And I, the juxtaposition of me being scared of that versus simply just not making enough money just blew my mind. In that space, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm running away from something that I would love to do out of fear and not even addressing the reality of what's holding me back. And those are small things. And I've got to get over this. And so I decided right then and there to start my own company. And I did as soon as I got on my feet. I quit my job and started my own company. And it failed miserably after three years. <laughs> but I did it. And the worst case scenario came to pass with that company. But it opened all kinds of doors for me and put me where I am today. Because I was able to see that. And I began to, at that moment, realize fear can be a compass for what I need to run towards, not what I need to run away from. Not what I need to Whoa. fight, but what I need to absorb into my life and overcome. And that's when I began working on techniques to really refine fear, not just as a survival instinct, but as a performance attribute that shows me where I need to go next. Wow. That's my long answer. Wow. I don't think it's a long answer at all. And it's an amazing story. One that is terrifying, right? I mean, it's like, what do you do if he makes it through the night? Like, what would listeners, right? They're, they're like, sometimes we just ignore it. Like, that couldn't happen to me. But what would you do yeah. if somebody said, if you make it through the night, you got a good chance? Well, you're potentially on your deathbed. And we'll take it a step further. Okay, fear tells me what I need to go towards, not what I need to get away from. Whoa. Because... The prefrontal, or not the prefrontal cortex, but the, the reptile brain, the amygdala, yeah. it is all about saving your life. It is telling yeah. you that you need to get away from anything that might harm you. And you're saying, well, there may be a real opportunity for me on the other side of the thing that I fear most. And it's really interesting because I remember when I feared not making enough money and what happens if I try this thing and it doesn't work. And once you touch the bottom of the pool, it's not so deep anymore. That's right. Yeah, you're there. So, all right. You've created a framework around fear though, right? Like it's not just using the adrenaline to focus. It is an actual way of life. There's a methodology to being brave. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And I actually call it brave. That's the acronym that I use. And so I have a, an acronym. But the first thing before you even start getting into it, you have to want to get through it, right? So I do lots of things. I, I believe that foundationally, if we will do things physically with our bodies, it's a very simple way to get to fear, doing something that physically is difficult for you. And it's easy to measure. It's easy to see. And you can see how you break down those barriers. 
But so I'll do things like Aussie style rappelling off a cliff. I'll go face first. I'll dive with great white sharks. I will, I, I just do all kinds of stuff that for me, I, I need kind of high levels. I, I, my next thing is I'm going to get certified as a squirrel suit jumper. One of those guys that dives off a cliff with those suits and flies. So I'm going to do that type of stuff. And that for me is what gets me into a space where I'm feeling challenged and excited. Not everybody wants to do that. And you don't have to want to do that. You, you don't, you do what, so I, I get people that are scared of heights, right? And they'll come to a repelling event and their big accomplishment is climbing that hill and, and looking over the edge of that cliff. And that is amazing. And they don't have to go down the cliff. In fact, they don't even have to go up the cliff. If they just come and they stand there and they watch people, that can be enough for them. So you never, you never do, you first must decide what you want to do. Once you've decided what you want to do, then I show you how to use the acronym to approach that fear. So I had, an, and I do, I have, I, I still say I have it because I still deal with it, but I had a severe phobia of snakes as a little boy. And it stayed with me for years. And being the type of boy I was, I wanted to be tough. I wanted to present with, with my abuse. One of my big things was I felt like I had to be tough and I had to show that to be a man. And it was important to me. And so I did a lot of things as a little boy that, you know, guys were like, that's crazy because it was my badge that I used to protect myself. And so I've done that type of stuff. I've built that area up, right? But I have lots of spaces where I'm not brave. And so I began to look at what I needed to do to use my brave places of bravery as a template for my places of weakness. And as I did that, I began to take down these things. And the first thing that I wanted to do was not be scared of snakes because all my little friends would go hunting snakes in the woods. And I would not, I was more afraid of the shame of, of being scared and admitting that than I was about being killed by a snake, literally, like the shame of saying I'm too scared. So I wouldn't, I would like, they'd hear a snake and they'd go off to the right. I'd go to the left. I think I hear something over here. Right? And I was terrified, just terrified. In fact, so scared. If I found a book, I, my dad had National Geographic and I flipped through the book. If I had a National Geographic book, I'm flipping through it. I see a picture of a snake. I would like scream, throw that book, that, that magazine across the room. I couldn't even touch it. And I would know from the cover of that magazine what that was. And I would never touch that magazine again. And so what I did when I decided I wanted to go over it is I decided to see how close I could get to that magazine. And I would sit with it with my hand above it, just above it, shaking, because I couldn't even touch it. That's how bad I was. And I went from that to I just kept exposing myself to the point where I could open the book, look at a picture, then I could touch the picture. And over the years, I got to a point where when I was 21, I have a picture of me holding a great big 20-foot boa around my neck, right? And that was a huge accomplishment for me. And then this last weekend, I was just telling you before this, for the first time, I went out in the wild. I saw a rattlesnake, which scares me every time. And 
calmed myself, looked at it, and then I went up to it and I grabbed it by its rattle on its tail. <laughs> I grabbed the tail of the snake like a crocodile done thieving, which not everybody wants to do, but I don't want to be scared. So I want to break that down. And the excitement of doing that overcame my fear because I've slowly transitioned. I've metabolized my fear and I have turned it into excitement. And now it's an adventure. It's not a terrifying thing and I can stay in control. Whoa. So was the fear of the snake rational? Like, did you get no. bit or like what created the intense reaction? I don't know. I, I don't know what it is, but it, it's one of those things like, you know, public speaking is, I think the number one fear that people face, like phobia, people can be com completely overcome with fear it, with the idea of public speaking. And for some reason, that's a really big one. Snakes is another really high on the scale of phobias. It's just in us. Maybe historically ancestors, things like that. I have no idea. Generational trauma. That's a real thing. But I have been always deeply afraid of snakes. It seems rational to me. They're horrible, but it's not rational. <laughs> Well, I, they do some good, right? They keep the rodents down and do some other stuff. But, you know, all right. So let's come back, right? Because you, you yeah. mentioned fear. And so can you be brave if you have fear? You can only be brave with fear. If there's no fear, you are not brave. Like you're just doing something, right? There are things that I do that people think are brave and they're not because I'm not scared. Like if I were to dive off 20, 40 foot cliff or something like that. I could do it. Doesn't scare me. People might think it's brave, but that's not a fearful thing. But the thing that so, scares you that you can do, that's brave. Okay. So there has to be something that you're scared of. There's some fear in order to be brave. Now yeah. tell me like the system that you have, like, it, yeah. Like so brave. Letters? So once you just figure out, right. So I, one of the things that I really, when I really started kind of harnessing this and testing it, I was in grad school in France doing my MBA in Nice. And I had decided at that point, I was no longer going to say no to things because there were a lot of spaces that I kind of stayed out of. I, I always have been asked to kind of be in leadership positions and I always avoid them. I don't want to be a leader. I didn't want to. I would avoid those kind of public things if I could. I would do it on my basketball team. I'd be the captain of the team on my sports teams. I'm cool with that in that small area. They don't want to be like the leader. And I get asked to do that and I always avoided it. But I decided any opportunity that came up in my MBA, I would accept. And I got asked to run for class president. And when I first got there and I did, and, and the way this program was, there was a we were always connected with it. It's a one-year program. So there was a group that had for the first six months been there. And then when we arrived, they were on their second installment of classes. They, they were doing on the second six months. And then we were the new group. And it's kind of this mentoring system that went on that was cool. So I ran against some people from the first group that were well-known and I didn't win. Somebody asked me, somebody came up and said, you should run. And my instinct was like, no, I don't want to do it. I was scared. I didn't want to fail. But I was like, no. I, so I did it. I got elected as class president, and that was kind of a big deal. And then I have always wanted to sing and perform because I have these amazing sisters. I have seven sisters who are 
absolutely incredible musicians, like professional off the hook singers. And I'm not that level. I'm not trained like that. So I have this embarrassment. I said, I'm going to try. So I practiced some songs. There was an open mic at a bar on the Mediterranean in Nice. And I practiced some songs and I went to this bar and I played live for the first time. And they have this house band. And if they like you, they play with you. They can play anything. So then you got a backup guitar, lead guitar. You've got somebody on the drums. You've got a harmonica. You got a backup vocals if they know your song. Like it's really cool, right? But if they don't like you, they're not rude. They just applied. You go sit down after one song. So I'm like, I want them to like me. I want to have a good experience, but I'm terrified. Got a little bit drunk, <laughs> got up there, and I played my song. And they joined me. And it was this feeling. I, I remember just shaking so bad at first when I was singing that it was hard for me to project my voice. But as they joined me, the fear dissolved into excitement. And that became the catalyst for me to keep trying so that I could get to a place where it's just fun. I want to be able to sing in front of somebody and play a guitar and do it. And so that's why you see pictures of me with a guitar. It's a like I built up the strength to do this and I no longer have fear. But if I let it go, if I quit exposing myself, that fear will come back. Right. So I got to keep challenging it. It's a natural space for me. So I keep challenging it, keep challenging it, become till it becomes. I don't know how long it will be until it becomes a non-issue for me ever. But I constantly challenge it like I do with my fear of snakes and everything I have. I constantly challenge those things once I break it down. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. Yeah. So tell me the process that you went through. Break down Brave for the snake, right? So Brave, so once you decide, hey, I want to do this, you got to decide, I want to get through this fear. If you decide that, then the first thing that you do is with brave, you admit, you boldly admit that you are scared of something. And this is particularly hard because a lot of times we don't want to even admit what we're most scared of. We, we don't even want to look at it. We keep it aside. And so I see people, a lot. Of, I'm not scared of anything, particularly men. will say, I'm not scared of anything, right? And until you admit it, you cannot put your hands around it. And I used to take groups of people repelling all the time. And we'd always have a couple that came that was new. There would be some guy that brought a girl. And, and sadly, I would have to say, almost without fail, there would be one guy that was talking trash. I love this. I'm so good at this. Duh, duh, duh. And then there would be one girl that was terrified. And she might even be in tears. And she'd be saying, I'm so scared. I've never done this. I'm, I'm worried about heights. I don't know if I'll be able to do this. And what we would do with the guy that's talking brave and all that, you just kind of ignore it. The girl, you'd reach out and you say, hey, it's okay. You just come up. Don't you worry about anything. You don't have to do anything you don't want. Just come and see with us. And we'll take care of everything. We'll walk you through. If you're not comfortable, we won't make you do this. We're, but we're going to make you understand everything. You know, coach her through it. Let her accommodate it with ease. 
And almost without fail, that girl would repel and love it. And she would come back. Very rarely, we got a situation where, I mean, I had a situation with a girl, extreme fear of heights. She just peeked over the edge of the cliff. Huge triumph, right? And she loved the fact that she was able to do that in a safe place. Now, the guy, that brave talking motherfucker, (laughs) am I allowed to say that? (laughs) That brave talking dude, he would either claim an injury from the hike up. It's happened all the time. Oh, I threw my back or my leg. I can't do this. Or he would completely back out at the moment. Like, just, I can't do this. Freak out. Or worse, and this happened more than once, halfway down that cliff, that guy would break down, start crying. I'm terrified. I can't do this. Get me off of this mountain. And I have to drop down a line and carry this grown man to the bottom of the cliff. Because he had been unable to admit he was scared. The fear overwhelmed him when faced with what scared him, right? So once you admit that you're afraid, you open yourself to alternatives of how you can manage that fear. So you boldly admit, right, where you're scared. Then you are recognize where you are brave in your life. Because what you're looking at is the place that you're weakest, And we can diminish ourselves in that space and think we don't have the tools and the capacity to do this. But I know that everyone is brave in some space. Every one of us. No matter how weak you may think you are, what a coward you think you are, I promise you, you have bravery in you. And I remember as a little boy, I was probably 11 or 12, we had a trampoline. And I used to go up, our trampoline was on this lower belt or lower patio where we had a basketball hoop and there was like, we had these staged patios in our backyard and there's one that came a deck, a patio that came off of our dining room in our backyard into this big open area. And then it dropped down. There was a retaining wall and it dropped down about six feet. And there was another deck where we had a basketball court and where we had a trampoline because we had another basketball court and we used the trampoline under this one for stunts and stuff. And then the balcony was about six feet away from the balcony. And we would get up on the balcony. So it was about 12 feet from the space down to the tramp and about a six foot leap. And we would jump onto the tramp from there. And it was fun and kind of dangerous. And people would get hurt sometimes. And I had this little friend that wanted to do it. So I decided to coach this guy how to do it. And we got him out. He's leaning out over the thing looking. I'm trying to talk him into jumping. And he says, I can't do this. I can't. He'd never jumped off a retaining wall that was like three feet above the trampoline onto the tramp. He'd never even jumped that far. So I recognized when he said, I can't do this and pulled back, he was so embarrassed that he was not brave. But I recognized because I had been that boy too scared to admit I was scared of snakes, how brave he was for admitting he was scared. And I was so amazed by him that he did this. And I talked to him about it in the way I talked back then. And I said, Hey man, you know, you're good. I'm impressed that you told me this. So let's go down. Cause if he had jumped, he probably would have killed himself. So we went down to the little three foot retaining wall right above the tramp. And he jumped off that for the first time, huge victory. Right. But this kid, once he was able to see that what he had done was brave, found the courage to do something that he had not been able to do before. 
because he was taking the template of bravery and placing on the template of fear that he had. So once you recognize that you are brave, you can look at those patterns of behavior that you have and the thoughts that you have in your own mind and place them upon that fear. And you begin to approach it, right? Then once you have done that, you act on one step of that fear, just on one little piece of it, whatever that component is. So if this kid had wanted to jump off that 12-foot thing, he would have started by jumping, jumping, jumping off three feet. We would have elevated a little bit about, about little, but we wouldn't, we would have just dealt with one thing at a time, right? Because there's usually a myriad of reasons that we're scared of something. So you approach one thing, right? And you deal with that. You don't attack multiple layered fears because it overwhelms you. And once you're overwhelmed, like you said, then the reptilian brain is taken over. And you do not have access to the prefrontal cortex and the higher functioning of your mind and the ability to keep yourself moving through that terror that you're facing. You can't let yourself be overwhelmed. So then once you act on one, or we are, then you verify to yourself, you go ahead and verify to yourself the actual worst case scenario of what could happen. And this is a really important exercise because in more than 90% of the times when you look at it, what you're going to realize is you're not looking at any sort of physical harm. You're not looking at any sort of death, sickness, anything. You're just looking at really shame, embarrassment, humiliation. These are the types of things because we are shame-based culture. And so you're avoiding feeling those things. And if you look at the worst case scenario, it's not as significant as our fear makes us believe it is. And this gives you the chance then to expose yourself to that space. And so then you begin like I did with snakes and you expose, you begin. The final thing is you extend the duration of time that you can expose yourself to that thing you're scared of. So if it's public speaking, right, you may not be able to stand in front of a massive audience, but maybe you start practicing a public speech in the mirror, in the privacy of your home, in the bathroom, and pretend that there's an audience you're speaking to. And that may invoke enough fear to you for you that you're exposing yourself to that. And you do that till it becomes comfortable. Then you find one person to speak to. You build that, extend your exposure to that fear till it becomes a space where it's like, I'm okay. My tolerance is built to a place where I'm no longer scared. I'm going to move to the next level. So it's incremental steps of exposure. And you can blow through this really fast, this stage, if it's not a huge, but if it's a phobia, you can break it down over a prolonged period and, and you can get, I've, I've broken two phobias in my life, serious phobias using this. Wow. So that's it. Brave. And so boldly admit you, you were scared or you have fear. Yeah. Right. R is... Recognize where you're brave. Recognize where you're brave. Recognize where you show up brave. Right. Then you act. Act on one fear. Because usually people are like, I'm scared of all these things. It's like, no, one thing at a time. Act on one fear. And then Then, V. 
then you verify the worst case scenario of what could possibly happen with that fear. What you're scared of, what is the worst outcome that could possibly happen? Are you able to live with that worst outcome? And then you expose yourself to yeah. the thing that you you have fear of with. And you extend the tolerance and your ability to stay in that space of fear until it becomes comfortable. Okay. And so people are like, man, all right. Yeah. Snakes. Got it. Great white sharks, whatever. Height. Hear it. <laughs> but now I got to tell my kids that I failed because my business went under. Yeah. Can I use this in that situation? Yes. Yes. Right. But they're asking how, right. And so let's go that because we talked about that, right. You start, you want to start the business, you started a business. It didn't go as planned. So how does one go have that conversation with somebody who's counting on them when the outcome isn't what they expected or hoped it would be? Yeah. And this, this comes down to, so if you, like in my case, when I decided to start my own company, right, I was deeply fearful that the company would fail. My worst case scenario was I would end up having to live with family. I would end up having to get somebody to support and get possibly financial help. Deeply embarrassing for me. I was a man with a master's degree and I had been making good money and I wanted to support my family. So this whole idea of me being a failure was a real tough thing. And so I had to reframe how I looked at that, right? Because that's the important thing is you reframe failure into, because we are, we can be fearful of failure, but failure is just a learning. And when you, when you look at how you show up brave, right? I was in Oregon last, not this summer, but the summer before visiting my brother and there's this slick rock that's a natural water slide that drops into this pool, a round pool, about 10 feet drop into this deep pool. And you slide down these cliffs, drop in. It's really fun. And I decided I wanted to dive off that. So I walk up, I stop to jump and dive and my feet slip out and I fall backwards off, like straight down, land on my back in the water. Hilarious. I'm laughing my head off. Right. And I posted this video and of me online. And I had so many people reach out and say stuff like, you're crazy. I can't believe how, like that. You're not embarrassed. I love that. You're not embarrassed, about your failures did it, all this stuff. And I thought, I didn't even think about it because physically nothing embarrasses me when I fail. If I shoot an air ball on a basketball court, whatever, I'll come down, I'll hit the next one. Right now I got my range. I know where I'm going. Right. I got, that's what I think. I don't look at my failure as something reflective of me, I look at it as, oh, I need to use more legs or, oh, I need to do this in physical space. I have no shame. I can fail dramatically in a physical way and feel no embarrassment because I have confidence in my physical attributes. You put me in a space on the stage where I'm singing and I mess up a song, I'm embarrassed. Oh my goodness. Like, ah, but I've worked on that now. I actually can push through that because I've used the template from where I show up brave to say, I don't need to be embarrassed. And so then you do that with a business, right? You look at it and you say, if I completely fail at this, if I completely lose everything, what do I get to learn from that? 
What do I get to pull from that to adjust and change and come back? Because you get to just come back and try again. And then you'll be successful. And that failure of my business is what opened the door for me to get my MBA. I wouldn't have got in. I, I got into one of, it's like one of the top 20 schools in the world for MBA program. I honestly don't believe I would have got into that school without having started my own company that failed. Probably a true statement. And so that failure piece is really just an experiment, right? If we change it from, I've never done this before, I'm trying and seeing what happens once I do this or do that. We have the option of it not going perfectly as our hypothesis says it should go. And it's just that. It's a hypothesis. There's so many external factors that can impact it. You're making all of these assumptions that one by itself could derail the plan, let alone multiple. Mm -hmm. And so I love what you're saying there because when we don't have a blueprint or a model for the thing, right? We don't have instructions, follow this, 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 then we don't actually know what to expect. So we have to test and experiment. And I think we live in a world, you, you talk about shame and fear as part of our culture. I think we live in a world where we're told not to try because the yeah. beaten path with the proven process is the only way to go. And yeah. I, I don't know that that is true for people who are trying to create a new space, right? Yeah. Yeah, you got you to gotta walk through some stuff. You're going to get scratches. You're going to get bruises. You're going to get cuts. You may end up in the hospital, theoretically speaking, in starting a business. But when you start to approach it thoughtfully and you know what the worst case scenario could be and you accept that, okay, this is what it could be. If, I, if this happens, it's part of the process and you know that it's just like a dive off a cliff that you could belly flop and then you get to go back up and try again. That changes everything. It's just another little event. It's just... A little thing. It's just like missing shooting an air ball on a basketball court. You can live with that, right? You get to decide what you want to live with, the level, and you can increase that as you increase that muscle, your ability to metabolize fear. As you increase that, then you begin to approach things, and you very quickly your your amygdala is the center for fear or excitement, and it will produce the hormones based on that. And a touch of fear is that honing thing that you want to be able to look at. It's a survival mechanism, but it's also a highly attuned gauge of what could hit you if you lean into it. If you really verify the worst case outcome, then you can really look at that and you can say, I can live with these things. And if they happen, I can learn from these things. And then fear becomes a master teacher. And so when you're scared of something and you run through that gauntlet of these are the things I do, You now have a tool that allows you to approach something with real significant power and learning gained from it when you fail versus hiding from that failure, not learning from it, staying in shame and fear, right? And there's so many examples that I could give you where I see people that own it versus people that retreat. And it's compelling how, I mean, we can all admit and see it. when you see somebody denying that something's happened when it's flat on in your face a failure and they won't admit it 
that's a person deep in their shame and fear, unable to admit it to you because inside they're ripping themselves to pieces. But a person owns it and is able to feel it and plan it out and approach it. When that failure hits, they look at it and they're like, okay, I see what happened. I'm better than this. This is not me. I will fix this and do better next time. It's a different, it's a game changer. I will fix it. And so here's the thing that I think is really cool that we haven't talked about. It's the ability to choose, right? I think a lot of people think that they don't have a choice when fear enters, right? Like I've got this phobia, so I can't do anything with it. It's just the way of life. That's the way it's going to be. But we can literally constrict or control that. We can constrict the fear, right? We can put it in a box Mm -hmm. and then make a choice to do something different. And so you go from the amygdala to the prefrontal cortex, and now you're different than the lower order animals on the planet, right? Because all they have is instinct, right? All they have is the reptile brain to do the thing. And we get the gift of choice. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're caught in fear, right? Your brain, the reptilian brain takes over. The prefrontal cortex shuts down. So you are now acting in habitual behavior. And that is not the best way to adapt and change and grow. That's a survival mechanism. Like, so back in the day, when a guy's walking through the bush, you know, everybody always says this, and sees that brown patch, and it could be a saber-toothed tiger, and fear ignites, right? The person flees or freeze or fight, right? But all of them are done in a frenzy of fear. So if you run and this thing comes after you, you, you maybe are going to turn and try to fight it, but it's all done in that fearful space. You are not at your best game because your prefrontal cortex is not adapting and seeing. You're literally, without choice, acting in a habitual manner. Now imagine the guy that has encountered some stuff back in the day, for, you know, animals that could kill him, and he keeps having this happen, and then he decides, you know what? I'm scared of this thing, but I want to be able to attack this thing and hunt it. (laughs) And that's a guy that metabolized the fear, figured out a way to get it done and went at it. Right. That guy turned the game around and then it becomes exciting. And we have hunters, people hunt all the time because it's exciting. But imagine back then you're going out with a spear to fight an animal that could literally take your life. That takes an incredible, the worst case scenario, I'm dead, right? I'm going to do this because I have to eat. And I'm going to do it and it's going to be fun. Right. And I think we can make our fear fun, right? Because the experience can be exactly what you think it might be. And the reason Mm -hmm. why you feel the fear or it could not be so bad at the end of the day, though, once you make it through, even if you do experience whatever the worst case scenario is, you're still here. And you're stronger because of it. And you've pushed the wall, the gate back that is fear, right? I think a lot of people live in a prison of fear. It's like, well, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, this could happen. And I I don't know what to do. So I'm going to do nothing. And 
I guess the last place I'll go is habits, right? Our habits need to serve us. Yeah. And just keeping us alive, I can't say is actually serving us. I think we have a higher order. Yeah, I agree. I mean, right, because we have created a world now that for most, particularly in established places, right? We are in a world where death is not a day in, day out thing that we have to confront in most cases. Sadly, there are some people that live in terrorizing situations, right? But most of us are not confronting death on a daily basis. Most of us are confronting elements of shame and humiliation and unreasonable fears that that come at us that we don't want to really look at because whatever reason, we're scared. And that's where you take that so it's no longer overwhelming, but fear can then become the spice, like the savor in your life. It's just enough to a hint that you're like, okay, this is a little bit scary. It keeps you focused and clarified, but your prefrontal cortex in incitement, when you're more excited than fearful, is engaged. And now you have this ability to act what I call in the zone. And any athlete, any performer knows what the zone is like. It is not a space of fear. It is a space of presence and clarity. You're seeing everything before it happens. It's exciting. It's fun. Right? But you are just there. And you're experiencing the flow. And you are adapting to the change. You're engaged. You see what's happening before everything plays out. Those are grand moments. And the best performers know how to dive into that all the time. And honestly, I believe that it's really, truly a significant part of it, the ability to manage their fear of all that could happen if if they didn't show up the way they wanted to. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So, man, we're... We're going to do more with this, right? There's (laughs) going to be an experiential event that James and I are going to partner on to help people get more of the zone, get more of flow, take advantage of the gift that fear is so that you can go to that next level. And so if you loved what you heard here, be on the lookout so that you can be a part of that life-changing experience. James, most of the folks here will know how to get in contact with me, but if they want to reach out to you direct and learn more about you and what you have going on, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, they can send me an email at james at, it's james at jamesgburnham.com. Or you can go to my website. It's jamesgburnham.com. And Burnham is spelt like I say it, B-U-R-N-H-A-M. But, and there I have a calendar. You can book a, I'll do a free consult with anybody. I don't just coach anybody. I want to coach people that we're connected. So we have a conversation. I never just dive in. I make sure that we're a good fit. I know lots of good coaches like you that I can refer people to if we don't fit. But yeah, that that's my space. You can reach me there. And yeah, Jerome, I just think, I think we got a lot of great stuff that overlaps with what you do and I do. And 
I think we can transform people's lives into a place of excitement and exploration that they never knew they could reach before. Yeah, James, this has been absolutely amazing. I love the content and the framework that is supported by that content and the ability for people to actually understand that they don't have to be a prisoner to their fear and that there's actually a process where they can become brave and conquer that and then turn that into something that puts them into flow state. And that flow state allows them to have creativity and production that they can't usually get in any other space, mainly because they don't have the adrenaline rush. And so my brother, I'm so grateful that our paths crossed and I look forward to bringing people together and changing lives together because I think this is a space that very few people know much about, but you, my friend, are an expert. And so it's exciting to be coupled with you on this journey, my friend. I just want to say kind of one last thing that I think is pertinent to a corporate client or an entrepreneur, and that is the economic climate that we face is so uncertain. And we have begun to recognize that we live in an illusion of control, but the COVID crisis has stripped that away from many of us where uncertainty, particularly within many companies is raining down on these people that are trying to make choices of how to move forward in a completely new economic environment. And they are caught in fear. And I see executives all the time holding on to old models of performance out of fear because they're not sure what the next move is. And then they miss the opportunity to move into a space where there's new great adventures and money to be made because of fear. And so this creates a highly adaptable, highly innovative person that knows how to make choices under pressure that are good. So that's the end result of this. Beautiful, beautiful way to close it out. To the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.